0: Top of the inning to you. Welcome to the Irish Baseball Podcast, brought to you by the Irish American Baseball Society. If you love baseball and if you love Ireland, stay tuned for a discussion of all things Irish baseball.
1: Hello, and welcome to episode 30 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Becker. In today's show, I'll be talking with James Christopher, the host of the YouTube show Let's Get Two. James travels around to different minor league ballparks throughout the country and brings you a lot of the atmosphere. Later in the episode, John Fitzgerald will join us for some March birthdays from Major League Baseball players who can trace their ancestry back to Ireland. John is the founder of the Irish American Baseball Society and the organization does a lot of research into the Irish heritage of many players who've made an impact in the big leagues. For more information, visit irishbaseball.org. It's time to welcome James Christopher to the show. He hosts the YouTube show, Let's Get To. We're doing something a little differently today. I'm going to bring you the second part of my interview with James, and we'll hear the beginning of that conversation in late March. James, I'm always interested in the logistics of putting on a show like this. How do you plan out these trips so that you're seeing different locations and telling
2: different stories? A lot of that comes from the best producer I have, and luckily my wife. So she does a lot of these with me, also just a huge baseball fan. And I get to be the wide-eyed kid who is excited to be there and I'm engaging with everyone and we're getting, I think as real a response as we can get, because I think people like talking about their minor league ball team. And I think they're willing to do it. She is the one who, when we show up has the checklist of, we need this shot. We need that shot. We need to get this interview. We need to get that thing. This needs to happen by that inning. Like there's a flow to it. And I think it's the best thing I can do um, is having her there. And sometimes we'll have Scott McIntyre with us as well. And he is the best producer for, let me go up to a random stranger and hey, you should be on our show to talk about why you love this. And he did it to us in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, and we ended up getting a bunch of the host parents. And there's this crazy group of host parents that wear t-shirts for their section they get drunk at the games. It's this weird thing. And they were like, yeah, we'll be on your show. So you get all this like local flavor and they're they're being real. They love this game. They are willing to open their homes to players and they become pseudo siblings to their kids that live there. So it's hard. On the games I go myself, and there's quite a few of those, my mind's racing 100% of the time to make sure I do all the logistical stuff. And it, sometimes I think it gets harder, but I just try to remember that the show is successful if the energy and passion I have for the game comes through, and as long as I can do that, then I think that I do a pretty good job. I mean, you know, we're, you know, we we have quite a big following. Um, we've ran into people who know our show, and it's really weird, like, I'll be at a concession stand, or, and so, hey, let's get to, not my name, but thanks for listening or watching, so. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things. Do you ever find that you show up to a
1: ballpark and you think this is going to be the story, but once you've been there for an inning or two, you realize it's a completely different atmosphere than you expected?
2: Absolutely. I try to take a very documentary filmmaker approach to it all. I'm going to let the story tell it to me instead of me trying to force anything. You know, you always will get some of the same vibe of something that's throughout minor league baseball of it being a people business of it being an entertainment business, not necessarily a sports business, of it being made up of these professionals that have been in baseball forever and then interns getting their first taste of it all. That all is pretty universal. It's only not been that case once, and that was not the good experience that I had. That's universal. But the details are different, and the details will often dictate to you where they're going and where – That story will reveal itself to you if you're doing it right. And there's been several times when it's happened. We get to Greenville, Tennessee, and we knew Johnson City. We were going to do a lot of World War I stuff. I didn't really know what Greenville had to offer, and I knew that there would be a lot of Civil War stuff, but I was already sort of standoffish because Tennessee was in the South, and I have, again, different than a lot of other veterans' political views on the Civil War, I guess, but a lot of people, particularly from my area where I live. What I didn't know and what became integral to the story was actually they were occupied by the Confederacy because they were a city that declared themselves still in the Union. So this little city in Tennessee said y'all can secede, we're staying with the Union, and then they had their own militia, and then they had to be occupied. So it was all this very like, what a unique piece of history that I never would have known about if I hadn't stumbled into that town. And so that's a great example of it giving us an angle we didn't know we had when we got there.
1: And when you're putting together a season, do you try to make sure that you hit some places in the South, that you hit some places up North, that you go out West and see some games there, or do you just try to let the story play out? Do you let the season play out with what you're able to do with the rest of your life?
2: That's where it starts, but I plan really early. Like I already have all my trips for 2022 are planned and the teams have all at a minimum through social media been informed. we're coming i do try to see everything you know i'm gonna go to biloxi mississippi i've never been to mississippi before so i'm excited to go see the shuckers and they're excited to have us so automatically you're like okay cool because some teams will just ignore that you tweeted at them other teams you know again the shuckers emailed hey we hear you're coming what can we do and all of a sudden I'm like okay this is gonna be a fun episode because now i know that they want us there and so they will be helpful i'm not gonna have to pull teeth to get stories out of them so Um, But yeah, we've got this summer, we're going to be all over. Like I I already talked about Pennsylvania, New York, and Delaware. Yeah, Delaware. But we're going to be doing Florida. We're going to be going to see both the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp and the Daytona Tortugas, which I'm just incredibly excited about. And then we're going to go check out Greenville, South Carolina, and Columbia, South Carolina. So we're going to go see the Fireflies in the Greenville Drive. And then, I mean, we just have little trips like that all over. Uh, the Keene Swamp Bats, and then we're gonna go see the Cape Cod League. So it really is just trying to get that quest for 50. But by doing that quest for 50, it means that we will absolutely get to see some of the different spots. And you know, we'll be back in Kentucky for three games just because we had such a great time last year. We're like, well, we loved going to Bowling Green, we're gonna go to Lexington, Louisville, and Florence. So it's gonna be, um, it's gonna be pretty, pretty good, pretty good.
1: Just a little tip. I don't know if you've ever been there before, but in between your Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp game on your way to Daytona, I definitely think you need to stop by St. Augustine. I think you're going to find a lot of great places to get a micro brew, to try some interesting food in between the two
2: cities you're going to be going to anyway. So you may as well stop in St. Augustine. Absolutely. You got it. I'll put that on the list. I'm I'm very excited about that trip. I'm going a day early to go to Universal Studios like I've never been. So, you know, go check out Harry Potter World. It'll be fun. So
1: as you're planning this season, what are you most looking forward to that you have on the list?
2: Um, well, there's two trips, really. One, I'm looking forward to going back to actually three. I'm looking forward to going back to Omaha to see the Storm Chasers. Uh, Marty Cordero is a great friend of the show. One of the best representatives of minor league baseball. But Easter weekend, I teach Catholic school. I run a film department, which means I get a nice four and a half day weekend for Easter. So we're going to drive to Albuquerque to see the isotopes, which I'm just going to be thinking about the Simpsons nonstop. But the game I'm most excited for is to get all the way up to Portland, Maine. We're going to go see the Sea Dogs. And we're going to be going on their last home game of the year. And what they do on their last home game is they recreate Field of Dreams. And so they put uh, corn in the outfield. Emma Tiedemann, who is the play-by-play announcer for the Sea Dogs, will be reading James Earl Jones's speech.
1: And people who are regular listeners of the show know we actually had Emma Tiedemann on a previous episode of the Irish Baseball Podcast. She is a great friend of the show, and she is really doing some great things there with that organization.
2: We are uh, just proud to be associated with her. So. Everything at the end of the year, let's get to, we give out the let's get to awards and our woman in baseball awards named after her. So we're proud of that. And I can't wait. So yeah, they come out and they come out in period uniforms and they thank everyone for coming. And I just like, what's more minor league baseball than that. And so you know, I reached out to her and I was like, listen, this is what I'm coming. And so I can't wait to meet her in person. She's been a friend of our show since the beginning. So it's going to be a lot of fun to get out there. And and she does a great job calling a game too. her Lexington legends winning the championship walk-off thing. I was disappointed in the legends though, because they won their championship on a Friday, the 13th in the 13th inning. How do you not have Jason day at the ballpark next year? Right? Yeah, that was definitely a missed opportunity. You know, I'm I'm coming up with these ideas and people don't want to, they don't want to take them. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you.
1: So this year has the potential to be a huge
2: year for minor
1: league baseball. Obviously, we don't know what's going on 100% and there might not be major league baseball for a while. Do you think that will give minor league baseball a chance to really make some headway and get some fans into the ballpark if there's a delay to the start of the season? The
2: history of 1994 would say yes. ESPN even broadcasts some minor league games. I think so, I hope so. I think people think that have never been to a minor league game. I think they think it's like watching the XFL where you know I am watching less good football players than I would if I was watching, you know, you got a Bucks hat on, a Bucks game or a Cowboys game or whatever, right? Like the only thing that's probably equivalent To the XFL, the NFL level be the Houston Texans because they're garbage. But um, when you go to a minor league baseball game, I think the nature of baseball, when you're watching like competition against like competition, it's just as exciting. It moves just as fast, except the difference is is you're on top of the action. I'm hoping that they realize that baseball is more than what's relegated to the 30 cities and that these teams, these communities need the support. And I love that there is a group of people. There's a group of passionate people you know, on the internet, they're hat collectors, they're Jersey collectors, and they're always supporting these teams. And I think it's something very important. And I do hope, look, look, I want the Astros to be back. I don't want Major League Baseball to be locked out. Um, I am am a complete like player-sided guy when it comes to this, I think. But, and the Astros are supposed to be good this year. So of course I want that. And I don't want another Mickey Mouse 2020 season. But- I will go to way more minor league games than I will go to Minute Maid Park this year. And I think it's because I think that the heart of the game exists in all these other communities. I don't think the heart of the game exists in the 30 major league cities anymore. Your show
1: being named Let's Get To, you're talking about a reference to Bull Durham, which is obviously one of the greatest movies of all time, but also... The Rosetta Stone when it comes to minor league baseball. If you want to explain minor league baseball to somebody who doesn't know what it's about, you show them that movie and they get it, at
2: least
1: if they're age appropriate for the movie. More than just being a good movie, what Bull Durham shows you is that baseball, unlike any other sport, is literally about the sport. The players change, the uniforms change, the cities change. Teams move, they build new ballparks, but there is something about baseball where you can sit down, you can watch a game without knowing any of the eighteen players on the field.
2: I completely agree. I can flip if I got nothing to watch on TV and I can stumble on to, you know, a Yankees Rays game and be completely satisfied. But I don't know that I would watch Giants Bucks at all. And I think that's the big difference for me. I agree. This has been such an enjoyable conversation,
1: Jim. Everybody needs to check out your show, Let's Get To. Tell them everywhere they can find it.
2: Um, Yeah, if you go to let'sget2.com, it should be easy to find it from there. But we are available on all your podcasting platforms. Uh, But the YouTube channel is really where it shines. The podcast version, we're talking about ballparks. The web series, we're showing them to you. So you can check us out on YouTube, Let's Get To. Follow us on Twitter, Let's Get To the show. We are very, very excited about this coming season.
1: Thank you so much for being on the show. I hope to get you back after some of these things so we can talk about the post like we talked about the pre today. Absolutely. You got it. We'll have more with James Christopher on episode 32, which will air for the first time on March 28th. Of course, James mentioned Emma Tiedemann, play-by-play voice of the Portland Sea Dogs. You can hear my colleague Jim Ward's interview with Emma Tiedemann on episodes 23 and 24 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. Right now, I want to welcome back founder of the Irish American Baseball Society, John Fitzgerald. We're going to be talking some March
0: birthdays. Yes, we are, Rick. Thanks for having me back. And um, before we jump in, I just want to kind of revisit why we do this. You know, it's, sometimes it's interesting to to see what the Irish impact on the game of baseball is. And and other times it's kind of surprising to find out who has irish roots and maybe it goes back to the 1600s or 1700s but i get a kick out of it i'm sure you do and uh just to remind everybody these birthdays are also listed in our irish baseball database on irishbaseball.org and most or if not all of the work here has been done by tim carr who um, is our resident genealogist he does an amazing job so Let's jump in. Uh, March 3rd, we've got William Henry O'Kelleher Jr., also known as Wee Willie Keeler. His parents were from Cork. March 4th, we've got Lefty O'Doul, who was born Francis Joseph O'Doul. His grandmother was Catherine Fitzgerald, born in 1847 in Limerick. March 5th, we've got Sam Thompson, his three-time great-grandfather. So that would be his great-great-great-grandfather, was from Derry. March 5th, we also have Jim Gleason. We have an article about him on our website. His son is a member of the Irish American Baseball Society. Um, Jim played for a long time. Uh, he was a baseball lifer. He was also a coach. He uh, was the first base coach for the 1964 uh, New York Yankees. Uh, really interesting story. If anybody's interested in a story about a baseball lifer and you know all that entails, uh, check out the um, the website. That was written by Kevin Kernan also march 5th kyle schwarber and his roots in ireland go back to the 17th century in Donegal. march 6th lefty grove and his roots also go back to the 17th century in Derry. march 11th this is one you're probably gonna be surprised by um this is a new one this came from tim carr our genealogist about a month ago and we haven't really made a big deal out of this yet but it's pretty interesting this guy was a pitcher. Uh, his ancestry goes back to County Tyrone in the mid-17th century, and that pitcher was Doc Ellis. He was the guy that threw the uh, no-hitter on LSD. Okay, so
1: obviously, looking at Doc Ellis, he doesn't scream Irish.
0: Well, this is it's relatively new information. I believe we have a family tree that goes back to the 17th uh, century. And uh, to be honest with you, I don't have that information handy. I know that Tim Carr uh, was... Pretty surprised when he found this out. Tim always checks and double checks everything. I think this one warranted, uh, you know, some extra checks on top of that. You know, it's one of those things where when you start digging to find out exactly, you know, where the Irish ancestry is across all these players, you can start with people with an O, a Mick or or Fitz or a first name like Sean or Patrick or, or whatever. But there's plenty of interesting surprises out there. And Doc Ellis would definitely be pretty high on that list.
1: I'm not as much surprised that Doc Ellis has Irish ancestry, because Irish ancestry right now is so ubiquitous in the United States. Almost everybody has it. But what impresses me is that Tim Carr went back and found it for Doc Ellis. Like, why was he even looking there?
0: (laughs) Tim kind of just riffs on different ideas and, and um, sometimes I'll give him an idea or he'll come up with an idea and I'll just say, well, yeah, just track it down see what you find. It's one thing to, to see a guy like Wee Willie Keeler whose parents came from Ireland and then guys like Schwarber, Doc Ellis, you know, they go so far back. It, uh, you know, obviously didn't make a difference for Doc Ellis and most people when it goes that far back, they may not know, they may not care, but it is interesting because, you know, members of the Irish American Baseball Society, you know, I know we have members that um, that are either from Tyrone or live in Tyrone. Actually, I think we have both. That's an interesting thing for them specifically. So, you know, it's one of those things. It's just uh, it's a baseball and an Irish story. And, and it may not make sense to a lot of people, but um, to our members, it, they, most of them find it really interesting. So
1: let's keep moving down the list, John.
0: All right. So uh, March 11th was Doc Ellis. March 12th is Dale Murphy. That shouldn't surprise anybody. His ancestry goes back to Ireland in the early 1700s in Dublin and Wexford.
1: So with Dale Murphy, I'm just going to cut in here for a second, because I know it's a very, very popular point of conversation right now. Dale Murphy's so borderline when it comes to the Hall of Fame that a lot of people are saying he should be in there. We don't give a lot of opinions, but... Since it is such a hot topic, what are you thinking, John?
0: I think he's right on the border. I don't think he he established himself as definitely on the outside or definitely in. He was a great ball player, you know, and, and I think as a fan growing up, I didn't like watching him play because I was a Mets fan, but you couldn't deny that he was great, whether he was Hall of Fame worthy I don't know.
1: It was just a little short, I think, for me. The career just wasn't quite long enough. The dominance wasn't long enough. But definitely, I don't want to take anything away from him. He was a great, great
0: player. For sure. March 13th, Will Clark, another star of the 1980s. His goes back to the early 19th century in Kildare. March 15th, Mike Flynn, who most people probably haven't heard of. He was actually born in Kildare. He caught for the Boston Reds. In 1891, in one game, he was 0 for 2. So not a very distinguished career, but again, he was born in Ireland. So that's uh, that's pretty interesting. March 16th, Patsy Donovan. Patsy Donovan was born in Cork in 1865. He was involved in the signing of Babe Ruth, and he also was the high school baseball coach of George H.W. Bush. And George H.W. Bush actually wrote a letter petitioning the Hall of Fame for Donovan's induction. Um, March 17th. St. Patrick's Day, Ted Sullivan. And I have to say, based on what I know about Ted Sullivan, I would have to doubt that he was actually born on March 17th because (laughs) he's like the type of guy who would claim to be born on March 17th. But his story is actually in the book, The Barnacle of Baseball, which was written by two of our members, Pat O'Neill and Tom Kaufman. He was born in Clare. And if you know the story, he was kind of an early promoter of baseball really fascinating story. I suggest you check it out. We actually have an article about Sullivan on the website, but if you really want to do a deep dive, Barnacle of Baseball is a fantastic book about his life and you know the things he did. And then uh, you know, moving on, we've got Richie Ashburn on March 19th, which I didn't realize uh, Richie Ashburn was born James Edward O'Neill, and his ancestry goes back to the 18th century in Antrim. Also on March 19th, we've got Clayton Kershaw, whose great-great-great-great-great-grandparents were born in Tyrone in 1780 and 1784. On March 20th, we've got Iron Joe McGinnity. His uh, ancestry, well, his father was born in Dublin. March 22nd, we don't have a player here. We've got a broadcaster, pretty famous one at that, Bob Costas, whose great-grandfather, John Quinlan, was born in 1851 in Limerick. March 27th, as we come towards the end of the month, we've got Buster Posey and he traces his roots back to Antrim in the early 1700s. March 29th, we've got Tom Glavin, who goes back to Cork in 1790. And then rounding out the month, we have Chris Sale on March 30th, and his ancestry goes back to Belfast in 1824. This is such
1: an enjoyable segment to do every month because I think it just does give you that excuse to look at some players that we might not mention. Like, when are we going to mention Clayton Kershaw's Irish heritage, or some of these players who are just going to get skipped because they don't give you that opportunity to mention them. But we go back, we look at some of these players, and it really is such a good indication of the work done at the Irish American Baseball Society. So thanks for being here again, John.
0: Thanks again for having me, Rick.
1: For John Fitzgerald, founder of the Irish American Baseball Society, and James Christopher, host of the YouTube show, Let's Get To... I'm Rick Becker, and this has been episode 30 of the Irish Baseball Podcast.
0: Thanks for listening to the Irish Baseball Podcast. The Irish Baseball Podcast is a production of the Irish American Baseball Society. Visit us online at irishbaseball.org and connect with us on social media. And remember, there's no place like home.